are continuing our sermon series called Good News People, because I figure if we've got the good news and we're people, then we're the good news people. And if the world doesn't have enough good news, I know it's rocket science, right? That's usually, that's usually the reaction I get to my jokes. That's actually perfect timing. <laughs> so if we, if we have enough, uh, or if we don't have enough good news in the world, and we have it, then maybe there's something that we should be doing to make sure the world gets that good news. So what is that? We've been going through a series uh, of questions and things together. Right now on February 26th, we're on the humble one. Now I know when you see that sermon title, you're thinking, wow, this is going to be a snoozer. But stick with me. Maybe, maybe not. If you ever have a question about what we've done before, you can catch it on YouTube, on Facebook, or at our website, wordserve.org slash sermons. And you can see everything that we've done there. If you want to know what's coming up next, we've got Fig Free and Do the New coming up next. But today, it's the humble one. I want to take a very scientific survey. Uh, again, this is audience participation time. I'm going to ask this question. Uh, how many of you prefer to do group activities versus individual activities? Now, as a kid, I was always thinking sports. So group sports, individual sports, but just activities. So I'm going to ask for a show of hands, how many people prefer to do group activities or individual activities? All right? Scientific poll. How many people prefer group activities? Okay, very good. How many prefer individual activities? Wow, that's like 50-50, y'all. You couldn't have planned that any better. This is so cool because it takes all kinds, right? And it takes the individuals and group activities, and we're going to tie all that together. I will tell you my personal experience as a kid. Uh, we were a baseball family. My older brothers played baseball, so therefore... I played baseball. That's just the way it was. And I was the youngest, so I watched this all growing up. I was the bat boy, did all that stuff. And, and I, I was a part of some really good teams and some really stinkers. I mean, they were, they were terrible. They were like the, what's that, bad news bears, right? And, and I always found myself, when it was on the bad team, I was like, oh, man, these guys are dragging me down. This is terrible. It's the worst experience ever. But you know what I found out when I got on the really good teams? I was like, man, I'm hoping I'm not the guy that's dragging them down. <laughs> You know, there's always that pressure, right? You know, am I going to be good enough for this team? So uh, many of you may or may not follow basketball. I, I will admit up front, I'm really not a basketball guy. I am not the biggest person in the world. I didn't start growing until I was 30. Uh, so <laughs> basketball just wasn't my thing. But, but you may recognize these guys. Now, uh, this is an interesting development because in Olympic men's basketball, guess which country has dominated the sport? Oh, yeah, United States, when you invent the game, I guess you're pretty good at it, right? And even better, in 1992, the ruling officials, the powers that be, said, you know what, we're going to allow professionals to play in the Olympics. And hence was born the Dream Team, right? You all remember the first Dream Team, the likes of Michael Jordan, all those guys? I mean, it wasn't even a contest. It was like the professionals playing the Bad News Bears, right? I mean, it wasn't even close. And so you had this series of wins and a series of wins, and it's like, okay, well, here comes the USA again with all their professionals. Until this year. Anybody know what year this, uh, this picture represents? The, the Olympic Games went to Athens, Greece, the birthplace of the Games in 2004. And guess how the U.S. Olympics men's team did? They lost. Not even in the final. They lost in the quarterfinals. Did they lose to a superpower like the Soviet Union, like France? No, they lost to Argentina. 
I'm not making this up. You can go back and check it out. 2004, they lost to Argentina. How could this be possible? We've got the very best players. I mean, on this team, you can see, like, there's Tim Duncan. We got Dwayne Wade. We got guys like this, high-quality players. And they lost to Argentina. Now, in fairness, Argentina did go on to win the gold medal. They were just having a great time, and they had a good team. But people wondered how scratching their heads, how could this be possible? How could the USA lose basketball, let alone to Argentina? And I think the answer comes from the Argentinian team, because here was a quote from one of their players. He said this, in terms of individual players, they are the best, but this is a team game. Now, don't miss the message here. You can have the most outstanding individuals ever. You can be the best that you can be, but if we don't play as a team and we're in a team game, it ain't looking good. We're going to lose to Argentina. No offense if you're Argentinian. Argentinian, right? <laughs> Who knows where this is going? I'll probably get sued. So these guys from Argentina, as they began to peel back the layers of what made them so successful, it turns out that some of these guys have been playing ball together since they were 13 years old. Some of them had played in the same leagues. Even though if they weren't on the same team, they at least knew each other. And when they walked out onto the court, they would walk out as like a family. And when they would celebrate, they would sing the same songs. They would jump around. They shared hotel rooms. They, they did everything together like family. They knew each other like the back of their hands. These highly talented players from the U.S., some of them just kind of met each other as they were coming together. Some of them had just gotten off a flight. So you can imagine the amount of practice time they had as a team. No matter the individual skill, the point is, if it's a team sport, you got to play as a team. So let me ask this question now, uh, just to bounce off of basketball. <laughs> See what I did there? Anyway, yeah. <laughs> sometimes things come out. I can't control it. <laughs> so let me ask this. When it comes to church, is church, is being a Jesus follower an individual activity? Or is it a group activity? No, both. I heard both. I heard group. Yeah. Well, we're going to explore that a little bit today with the Apostle Paul, because he wrote a letter to this group, uh, this church called Philip. Uh, they were called Philippians, the Church of Philippi. Now, the setting in the Church of Philippi, if you don't know much about Philippians uh, culture, it was, uh, I found this fascinating. It was largely made up of retired military. I think I would have liked to live there, but... Here's the problem. The retired military were very inculcated into this culture of who is God? Well, Caesar is God. And so when you have these people that come in and they say, Jesus, he's king of kings, he's lord of all, and they're like, uh, uh, no, no, Caesar is lord of all. And so there's some automatic division. Add on to that an extra layer of people who came in preaching the gospel of Jesus, not because they necessarily felt so strongly about Jesus, but because they felt like they could get some fame some notoriety, maybe a podcast, I don't know, a record deal, I, whatever. They were trying to get some notoriety for themselves. And so you had divisions within the, even the Christian community saying, hey, these people are coming in and they're sharing this message. Should we shut them down? And Paul, to his credit, says no, because where Christ is preached, it's Christ. Christ is going to do his thing. The Holy Spirit is going to guide this. So let him, let him talk about Christ as long as they're talking about Christ and not making something up. And so that's where we pick up uh, this text today. We're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 2. And uh, Paul is basically exhorting the Christian community not to cave to this pressure, not to cave to the division that is trying to creep in 
as people tell them, no, Jesus isn't Lord, or, hey, I'm, I'm preaching Jesus, but I'm not from here. Great, right? So this is Paul's words to the Philippians, starting in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. These are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words, we are grateful. Let's pick apart this a little bit here, because as you look at the, the question I posed earlier, is following Jesus a group activity or an individual activity? Let's, let's look at what Paul might have to say here. I'm just going to highlight a couple things, and I know once you highlight them, you probably can't see those, so let me read what I highlighted. Same love, one in spirit, of one mind. Does that sound like an individual? Or a group activity? I'm thinking it sounds like a group activity. We're forming a team here. So when you talk about the same love, what's the same love that Paul is talking about? That love is the the greatest commandment. That we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is just like it, that we love neighbor like ourselves. So no matter how the world defines love, no matter how your community defines love, this is the love that makes us the same. The love of God. The love of neighbor. As intended by God. We need to be united in that same love, Paul says, if we're going to be a team. And that word is still true today, by the way. When he says one in spirit and one of mine, one in spirit, there's a gathering of a spirit, right? There's a gathering around a cause when we're one in spirit. The Argentinian basketball team was one in spirit. It doesn't get any better or any easier than that. Well, let me say this. (laughs) It's easy to say. It is really hard to do. But that is what unites us in spirit. We are here to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's our mission, period. Beginning of story. Of one mind. Well, that's a little tough because everybody has a mind. And some of them are pretty strong-willed. I'm glad I'm not one of them. But some of them are very strong-willed. Some of them have a definite way that we should be doing things. So if we're going to get together and do one thing, whose one thing should we do? Well, if you look at it this way, if you look at it horizontally, everybody's got good ideas, since not all of them are bad, and we could get there in a million different ways. But if we are to be of one mind, if we are to come together and say we're going to make disciples, then that one mind should be the greatest of minds. It should espouse the greatest of ideas. It should be so big that it encompasses the whole world. And I will tell you up front, my mind cannot do that. I don't know of any human mind that can do that, but I know of one mind that can, and that is the mind of God, the mind of Jesus Christ. So if we are going to be of one mind, I think that's a good mind to pick. And so does Paul, by the way, because look what he says next. We are to be like-minded. Well, like-minded with whom? Look at the bottom. Same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, here's the kicker. It's right in the middle. Can you see it? We are to be of one mind, just like the mind of Christ Jesus, in humility. 
wah, wah. You know, we were doing so good, Bill. We were so enthused, we wanted this, and then you said the H word, right? Nobody wants humility, or do we? I think we do, and here's how I know this. Here's a little Bible reading trick, uh, two Bible reading tricks. The first one is, uh, I always talk about reading the Bible in circles. So if you read a passage and you want more, read a little bit after, read a little bit before. If that's not enough, read a little bit more after, read a little bit more before. And you're what I call reading the Bible in circles. Well, here's this mindset that Jesus Christ is talking about. Because if you notice, there's a colon at the end of Jesus, right? So there's more that follows. What is that humble mindset that Jesus has? Well, this is the whole point of the book of Philippians. And, and this ancient poem, or some would say it's a, it was actually an ancient hymn. So here's your first praise song ever, right? It says this. This is the mind of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of the servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, death even on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. So that's the power of humility. So what, what is this thing that we are called to do in this exercise of humility, in this exercise of teamwork? Well, here's the last Bible trick. Not the last one, but another one. See that little word at the top? Therefore. I, I heard it explained this way, this way to me in, in seminary when the professor said, whenever you see therefore, you need to look at what's there before. Because therefore is a summary of something else. So Paul is saying, da, 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 therefore, do this. So what is it that we're called to do? You have to back up to chapter 1, verse 27, and this is what Paul is asking us to do. Whatever happens, as citizens of heaven, live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I will know that you will stand firm in the one spirit, striving together with one accord for the faith of the gospel. We are called to live a life worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ. In other words, we are called to be of one spirit, one accord, one mind, like-minded with Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to. So if that's the case, is this unity thing that important? I mean, if I'm going to ask us to be a team and we're going to have to get over some stuff, then we need to make sure this is worth it, right? So rather than ask Paul, which, you know, Paul's a great guy and all, but let's ask Jesus what he thinks about unity and what he says. This is what he says in John 17, 22 and 23. He's praying to the Father, Jesus is. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be as one as we are one, in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Did you catch what Jesus is saying there? Not only does he think unity is important, Jesus is saying, this is how the world will know that you sent me. This is how the world will know that I am the son of the living God, the Savior, the Messiah, because my people are one. You think that's important to Jesus? I think it's everything. 
So it should be everything to a Jesus follower. So why aren't we more unified? Why aren't we on the team? I have a theory. Let me share it. How do we get to unity? Well, we get to unity through hum humility. And there's your doorstop. Nobody wants to be humble. We need to look at what is humility in this sense, in this topic. Jesus never says, be humble, uh, be, have low self-esteem, let people trample all over you, let them abuse you, uh, think that you're nothing. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying, if you look at the, the biblical sense of humility, he's saying there's a lack of self there. There's a willingness to place myself under the authority of something greater than me. Does that make me less? No, it actually makes me more. If I do it to the right authority, if I do it to the wrong authority, yeah, it'll take me down. But if I do it to the correct authority, that will make me more. And Bill, I don't like the sound of lack of self. That sounds like I would have to die to myself. Ooh, Jesus said that too, right? Jesus said, you got to die to yourself. Like, well, but I can't really be myself. Here's the great irony. When we die to self, and when we put ourselves under the authority of Jesus Christ, we are actually our true self, the true self that he created us to be, living for the purposes as he guides us in exactly what we were meant to be. That's where you find purpose. That's where you find meaning. That's where you find fulfillment. That's where you find life abundant. When we die to self and put ourselves under the authority of the one who made us, we are our true self. That's the great irony in all of this. Now, you may still have some resistance. That's perfectly understandable. Your resistance may come and go like a roller coaster. Yeah, I'll be humble today because I like what God's telling me to do. But tomorrow when he asks me to do that thing I don't want to do, mm, no, not having humility. All right, so the, the problem with humility, and, and we actually talked about this in the men's Bible study just a, a couple weeks ago. You know what my number one problem with, author, with uh, humility is? I'm not in charge anymore. I don't get to say what I do or what I don't do. I don't get to waste my time doing whatever I want. I need to be under the authority of the one who's going to guide and direct me. Now, again, if I do that to the wrong authority, that's bad news for me. It'll wear me down. It'll grind me down into nothing. But if I do it to the right, correct authority, God will make sure that I have rest. God will make sure that I have purpose. God will make sure that I have energy or whatever it is that I need to accomplish a task. Why? Because he's God. In fact, he knows better than I do when I try to do it on my own. That's the way this thing works. So the problem with humility is we, we just kind of have to get over ourselves. You may have your own obstacles. And if you do, and I've not mentioned one, I would love to hear about that because then I'll talk about you in my next sermon. No, teasing. No, no, I would never do that. But it does help me understand what people are struggling, struggling with. So if you have issues with humility, if you have issues putting yourself under the authority of Jesus Christ, then let's talk. You're not going to get any judgment here. I genuinely want to know, what are people struggling with so that we can overcome this? Because becoming a team is so important. It's that important. And Jesus said so himself. So how do we do this? What does it look like? Well, here's, here's my, my great philosophy. Uh, you, how many people are familiar with an orchestra? Okay, so far so good. <laughs> So here's the thing, the orchestra is the perfect illustration. Because if you think about every player there, are they exactly the same? No, every one of them is different. 
Are they playing exactly the same instrument? No. This is some of them just like to hit things. Right? Some of them just like to hit things. Some of them will rub you the wrong way. Some of them are blowhards. You know? But they're all part of the orchestra. This is the point, right? So, so as this orchestra comes together, they, they are coming together as one. Now, they're all different, but they're all one. How does this work? So here's the interesting thing. And here's how this affects the good news of Jesus Christ. Because if we do this well, if we come together well, then this good news, the good news people that we are, this message comes through beautifully. But if we don't, it sounds weird. And here's the great sadness in my heart. Folks, we have the best story ever told. We have a loving creator that gave his son to die for us that we might enjoy eternal life together. We have the greatest story ever told, and yet we're not telling it like it is written. What if I told you this orchestra, uh, and I'm actually going to play a sound clip, so uh, hopefully. <laughs> we're going to play a sound clip. What if I told you that this orchestra is amazing? They're world famous, and they are. This, this music will change your life. Your perspective will be changed. You will be inspired. Maybe your heart, real pick, heart rate will pick up just by listening to this orchestra. And I sell you on this. And I say, come hear this orchestra. It's the best thing ever. And this is what you get. just change your life? Don't you want to just stand up and dance? Aren't you transformed by this wonderful music? No. See, this is what happens when I say, hey, man, you should be a part of our community group. You should be a part of our church. You should come and be a part of our service here because this is where God is really glorified. It's amazing. It's life transforming. You will never be the same. <laughs> and that's what they get. So what's the problem? I thought this was a world-famous orchestra. And it is. It is a world-famous orchestra. But what are they doing? They're tuning up. They're not playing the game yet. So let me play another clip from a, a world-famous orchestra. <laughs> What's the difference? They're all playing together. Here's what's happened between the warm-up and when they're playing now. First of all, and this is, this is going to be true for us as well. Did I just, uh, there we go. First of all, you've got musicians that are reading the music. Every person there was looking at a stand. They have music. Well, we have music too. It's written right here. This is the greatest story ever told. This is the greatest musical ever written. So the first thing that we need to do if we're going to be a team player is we need to read the music. And I don't just mean read for information. I mean, if, if, those, if that orchestra sat down for the first time and looked at that score, do you think it would sound that magnificent? No. Even if they're professionals, no. 
And by the way, no professional is ever going to go, hey, well, let's sit down and sight read this public performance. But we as Christians do that all the time, don't we? Well, God says I'm supposed to love. Well, what does that mean exactly? How does that look? How should I respond in this circumstance? Well, let me sight read the music and I'll fake it. And then you get the warm-up sound. And the good news people don't have such good news. So if we read the music, if we read the score together, if we strive to understand where we serve, where we don't, how we rest, how we serve, how we love God, how we love neighbor, then we've got it. And when we come together to play, it's not the first time we've seen it. But even that's not enough, because if I read my own score, if I write my own score even better, it's going to sound really weird. The second thing we need to do is we need to follow the conductor. Every one of those people is accomplished musicians. They probably have degrees. They could go out and, and go into a subway by themselves and get all kinds of money. Maybe they could get a record contract. I don't know. Every one of them is accomplished, but every one of them is willing to submit to the authority of the conductor. Why? So that they work as one. Folks, I don't care how talented we are. I don't care what we bring to the table because everything that we bring has been given to us by God. The only thing that matters is are we willing to give it back to God? Are we willing to follow the conductor and be one? And if we are, then that good news that we send is like a symphony. It's life-changing. Or it's the warm-up. Here's the way I see it. Word serve. For the love of humanity, Christ came down and died on a cross. So, word serve, my question to us is for the love of God, can we die to self, live a life worthy of the gospel? Can we be humble? Can we be one? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the example of your son, Jesus Christ, the one who owed nothing but paid it all, the one who had everything yet became nothing, the one who came to save the world by dying for the world. God, remind us that as we struggle with this idea of humility, of submitting ourselves to authority, that there is no better place to rest that. Because if we're not under the authority of Jesus Christ, we will be under the authority of something, something else. And it generally doesn't lead to a good place. Or maybe it leads to a good place temporarily. But God, nothing has your message of hope. Nothing has your message of life eternal. Nothing can transform us and make us new like you can. And God, as good news people, I pray that you would teach us to read your score Help us to follow the conductor and help us to play a symphony of the greatest story ever told. We pray this in Jesus' name.